1 Kings 14. And tonight we'll look through verse 31 together. 1 Kings 14, beginning in verse 21. Now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah the Ammonites. Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy more than all their fathers had done with the sins which they committed. For they also built for themselves high places and sacred pillars and asherim on every high hill and beneath every luxuriant tree. There were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Now it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. He took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house, and he took everything, even taking all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Then it happened, as often as the king entered the house of the Lord, that the guards would carry them and would bring them back into the guard's room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? There was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually, and Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Nahamah, Nahamah the Ammonites, and Abijam, his son, became king in his place. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, as we continue our study of this portion of your word on these Sunday evenings, we pray that you would, by your spirit, continue to expose us to the, to the truths that you have for us, for the former things were written for our instruction. Pray tonight that you would teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Rehoboam, remember, is the son of Solomon. He's the, he is the son of Solomon who uh, rejected the wisdom of the older men and followed the so-called advice of his peers and that resulted in the splitting of the nation. Now we know that it was under the sovereign providence of God as a judgment upon Solomon and Israel for their idolatry. But Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, was a piece of work. And really, remember, I'm going to remind you of this continually, in a sense, the the account of 1 Kings is written from a historical perspective of how does how do we get from the place of these people, the chosen people, and, and we have David, King David, and we have Solomon, and we have wealth, and we have peace, and how do we get from that to not more than a few hundred years later, the exile, the destruction of Jerusalem, how does this happen 
to God's people. It's one thing if it happens to, to another people. Nations come and nations go. But not this nation. This is God's people. The people that he's chosen for his own possession. How does this happen? What well, happens with sin? Nothing new. And Rehoboam rejects the Lord and he follows after the ways of the nations which Israel conquered. Now one of the sad lessons here, we know it's obvious, it's on the surface of the text, is the legacy of Solomon. And Solomon may have been the wisest man on earth, but we know the tragedy that he did not use that wisdom and combine it with with godly fear and obedience. And so with Solomon, there was a dipping into sin, an exploring of sin, a reasoning with sin. And it was in Solomon, accompanied by a godly fear, that at the end of his life, he he apparently, according to Ecclesiastes, took up again. But it was too late. What was where, where within Solomon there was idolatry alongside a remnant of a, a God-fearing heart within Solomon, his sons, and Rehoboam in this case, took only the idolatrous part. And it's a warning for those of us who are in leadership, whether it be in any capacity in home or elsewhere, that what we trifle with, when we trifle with sin, what we give a little bit of license to those who follow us may go all the way. And that was the truth with with Rehoboam. He just followed after the ways of the idolatrous ways of his father. And one of the hints of his father's sins is the repetition of his mother's name. Solomon had married an Ammonite. Now we know that that's no good um, for Solomon, the king of Israel, to have had as one of his wives hundreds of wives, uh, an Ammonite is not what was pleasing to the Lord. And so here Solomon's sin begets Rehoboam, and Rehoboam leads Judah, the southern tribes, into sin for which ultimately the nation will be conquered by Babylon, exiled, and Jerusalem will be destroyed. You'll hear the sins of Rehoboam repeated throughout the book of 1 Kings because he's the first in the line of the wicked kings of Judah. Tragedy. So this is Rehoboam. He was 41 years old when he became king, verse 21. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. And 17 years doesn't sound like a lot, but that's enough to, to, dis, to lead to destruction. Uh, I'm just going to pause here. And you know, here we are in the church, in Reformation Bible Church, originally Faith Fellowship. Church has been in existence 12 years. And they've gone by like that. You know, time's just flying by. And, and, but we, it's, it's a reminder to us to be vigilant that the downfall even of a church can happen in a very relatively short amount of time. 17 years he reigned in Jerusalem, and that was sufficient to uh, lead Jerusalem and Judah into tragedy and into the rebuke of the Lord. And notice in verse 21 that it's, we're reminded that Jerusalem was the city which the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. This wasn't any town. This wasn't any city. This is the city of the Lord, of the Most High. This is the city of Yahweh, Yahweh's name, Jehovah's name 
is upon this city. This is where God's people meet with God, the living God, and all the places on earth. And it's in this very place that Solomon allowed sin and idolatry to occur and Jeroboam, Rehoboam rather, oversaw a plunging into gross idolatry that would be infamous throughout the rest of Israel and Judah's history. It's tragic. Judah, and it wasn't only the king, verse 22, as went the king, so went the nation. Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. They provoked him to jealousy more than all that their fathers had done which, with the sins which they committed. Sometimes we have a sense that, oh, it's just the bad kings. But we're naive if we think that. Rehoboam had with him at least a large portion of the populace who thought he was doing quite well. His approval ratings actually were probably quite high. People liked this more um, open-ended religion, a little more, um, they might say, gracious and less legalistic, right? Um, and not so rigid, more open, more friendly, uh, more understanding of different perspectives and different preferences, much more reasonable when it came to uh, dealing with other nations and with other people, all these things. Apparently, there was a large portion of the population who went along with it. They not only went along with it, they loved it. They built for themselves, verse 23, high places. What these are is instead of Jerusalem, uh, the mount where God had chosen to be worshipped, they set up altars, even in the name of Yahweh, Jehovah, they set up church in different places. They said, you know what, we're not going to be so strict, we're going to do church our way. We're just going to meet God in the woods. We're just going to, can you meet God anywhere? Of course. But we hear this a lot today. You know what? I'm done with formal traditional church. I'm just going to worship God on my boat. And that's fine if you want to worship God on your boat. Just don't call it church. The church is where Christ's people are assembled. And so this is the kind of thing that's going on. They're, they're worshiping God anywhere, any way they want. Sacred pillars, Asherim were these poles that they would set up and and these were places where there was happening worship and, and these trees were thought to be um, places of magic and they were old places and they were places where um, God, various idols were worshipped. And of course, uh, in a very hot land under a tree uh, might be a place where you can hang out and get some, some cool uh, shade. And all kinds of unseemly things happened around these and under these oaks, these trees. Most gross was verse 24, male cult prostitutes. It's, it's a pattern of cultures, pattern of biblical culture, that the more that a culture delves into godlessness and idolatry, the more that you'll see the prevalence of homosexuality in various forms. In this form, um, it was thought to be even an act of worship. We're back, we're basically, Rehoboam is taking Israel, is taking Judah back to the days of Judges, when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And while we may not know of churches that have male cult prostitutes, we, 
We certainly know that we live in a time where it's thought a thing of pride to share that your pastor or minister is a homosexual or lesbian. And and I'm not saying that to be um, uh, unkind. I'm just saying that that's where we're at today uh, in a very real sense, very similar to the days of Rehoboam. They did exactly the abominations, verse 24, of the nations, which were there, which they dispossessed. So this is the scene, and it is sad, and it's, a, it's, a, it's the first descent, and it's a steep descent, free fall, it feels like, in the condition, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. And in verse 25 and following, we learn that there's a cost. There's always a cost. This morning, in a sense, we learned of the wages of grace. I entitled this morning's sermon, Grace Pay. Grace Pay. In other words, we're saved by grace, and every reward that we receive from the Lord is also by grace. We can't earn it. We can't, like the disciples, try to jockey a position to get in front of the line. The last shall be first. It's all of grace. This evening, we see in this text the wages of sin. We know that from Romans, the wages of sin is death, but we're seeing it here in the, te- in the text. There's a payment that comes due for sin. Those early days of Rehoboam's reign, again, as I said, people thought this was great. Things were looking up. Even though the 10 northern tribes have separated, uh, they were doing quite well down in Judah. People, everyone's having a good time but not for too long, for it happened in the, in the fifth year, only five years in, not very long, into the year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Now, think about how significant this is. Five years earlier, doesn't matter what pharaoh was on the throne in Egypt, they wouldn't even have thought about coming up because Solomon was there in all of his power and all of his glory with horses and chariots and and all of the defenses and all of the wealth, nobody in the area would have fought against going against Solomon. Only five years later, Shishak thinks nothing, says, you know what, I've seen enough of this son of, Jer- of Solomon. I'm going to go up and see what I can do to teach him a lesson and take a few things on the, along the way. And you remember that in the house of the Lord under Solomon, that one of the emphasis of the text when it was explaining Solomon's glory and the blessing of his kingdom was that everything was covered with gold and that in the house of the Lord, there were even these shields that were solid gold. Gold was, was like dirt in Solomon's kingdom. It was so prevalent, so abundant. And so this is significant when Shishak, king of Egypt, comes up not just about, not just against a peripheral town in Judah, he goes right for the capital city. And he is of significant numbers and significant strength that he's able to saunter in. There's no real discussion here of a real fight. He just seems to walk in. He's so powerful. He walks in and takes the treasures of the house of the Lord, treasures of the king's house. He took everything, even taking all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Can't play with sin and expect the Lord's blessing and protection. It's true of an individual, it's true of a family, it's true of a church. 
can't play with sin and expect the Lord's blessing and protection. God, after a while, when those who bear his name make it very clear that they have no intent for him to be their, he to be their God in practice, will in judgment essentially say, okay, I'll no longer protect you. I will allow this to come upon my people. And so it's, it's a very disturbing thing. With only five, within five years, some of the, all of the wealth, rather, of Solomon and of the how, treasures of the house of the Lord, the house of the king, which of course was Solomon's house, are stripped and taken down to Egypt. You think that this would have caused a time of mourning and repentance, right? I mean, it, that's reasonable. You have your, your, the Lord's people, you have his promise, the king of Egypt has come right up, sauntered right in, taken anything and everything that he wants, walked out with no problem, and you might be prompted to say, what's wrong? You would think that it might lead to a time of self-examination, but it doesn't. It doesn't. This rebuke and this discipline doesn't lead to a time of self-examination. Rather, it just leads to a time of self-deceit, self-assurance. Instead of coming to a point of humility, of repenting and crying out to the Lord, Rehoboam just decides, well, you know what? We've been stripped of just about everything we had, but we can still keep up the semblance and the appearance of religion. He made shields of bronze in their place, committed them to the care of commanders. I mean, these weren't cheap, but they're bronze. They're not even silver. They're not certainly not gold. The gold and silver have been taken away. These are shields of bronze, and that bronze, and now these are some of the most valuable pieces in Jerusalem. That's how impoverished the city is at this point. That's how stripped it has been of gold. And instead of being humbled and humbling himself and calling upon the Lord, he just decides to continue on. We'll just keep it going. We'll keep the show going. We'll keep up the pomp and circumstance. We'll keep up the outward appearance. So we'll keep going through the ritual Dale Ralph Davis was very helpful in his commentary in pointing this out, that there's, a, there's just kind of a keeping up of appearances. I, I, I don't know about you, I, I've just been in more than one church where, and I think they're all around New England, where there's still the gathering, there's still the hymns, there's still the prayers, there's the singing, there's... there's the outward trappings of the worship of God. There's maybe deacons, there's a pastor, there's the trappings of religion, and we just keep going on in it. But there is not a pausing and reflecting. Perhaps, perhaps we've been gutted of our strength because of our sin. Perhaps we need to cry out to the Lord and turn to him in this hour of need. You know, we've heard about so many dying churches around the country. You've heard of lots of dying churches in New England, and I, I've seen them, and I know them, and, and they happen. And, and, um, but in, in too many of those dying churches, you, you have a sense, or you, you, or you, you don't hear that, that there's a time of, of 
true searching of heart, the true coming together of examining ways of repenting of sin. There's just kind of, we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep doing what we do. We're just going to keep up the appearance. There's no time of pausing and reflecting. How have we sinned against the Lord? So Rehoboam doesn't humble himself. He just carries on. And, and there's kind of a little bit of ridicule, I think, in the text in verse 28, it happened as often as the king entered the house of the Lord that the guards would carry them and would bring them back into the guards' room. I mean, they probably did this with a lot of, you know, uh, to keep up appearances, probably, probably made this look good and made this, you know, we have, we have shields of bronze and there was a routine and the way the soldiers carried them and so forth. It, it all looks good, but Jerusalem and the kingdom has been gutted of its former glory absolutely stripped instead of humbling themselves they just carried on in their idolatrous way not only that there was verse 30 war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam remember Jeroboam is the the evil king in the north the first king of the ten tribes of Israel and we've learned of his wicked ways but there was war between those two men the whole time Here are the people of God, the 12 tribes, warring with each other, all because of idolatry, not turning to God. Conflict continually. It's a sad moment, but it's foundational for the rest of Israel and Judah's history. We will see moments where there are individual kings, and we'll come up on one very soon in chapter 15, whose name is Asa, who will be an example of a, of a king who had a heart for God. And so be encouraged. We have some positive nights on the way ahead. It won't be all every night, sin, repentance, you know. Uh, I know how it is. And it's hot and um, so forth outside. And, and this is, well, this isn't very encouraging. Um, so we have some encouraging examples coming up, Asa being one of them. But it's good for us to be cautioned again. Clearly, the Lord recorded this history to give us and all who would read understand why he ultimately judged Judah and Jerusalem, why they were exiled. We learn of how, how long-suffering God was with his people. Our hearts break as we think of how much privilege they had, how they were privileged to be the house of the Lord, the place where God was worshipped, and they threw it all to worship on every high hill and over every, under every luxuriant tree. Faithfulness to God and obedience to God may feel constricting at times. It may feel limiting at times. But it is the way of life to follow him and to obey him, to be devoted to the Lord alone is the way of life. To turn from the Lord, to listen to the promises of the world, to give in to the spirit of the age and just to say whatever goes, that we want to be flexible and, sorry, we want to be flexible and, and kind of go along with whatever anybody thinks, that will lead to sin and grief. Some of you experienced that personally in a church. I have. It's not theory. And it's heartbreaking. And the legacy of that doesn't stop. 
keeps going on. And so may God grant that we here at this church, no matter how many we are, that we love the Lord with a sincere heart, not perfectly. We'll, we'll fail the Lord, we'll disobey him. But when we sin, may God grant that we humble ourselves and say something very simple. I was wrong. We were wrong. Oh, Lord, please forgive us. That's all we have to do. So hard. But when we recognize our ways, oh, Lord, we have not loved you as we ought. We've listened to the whims and the spirit of the age. Please forgive us. May God grant that we're loyal to him and not experience the wages of sin. I've prayed, and I invite you to pray with me. I know it's a rather stark prayer. I don't pray it very often. I, 99.999999% of my prayers are, Lord, bless Reformation Bible Church. Lord, keep us. Lord, Lord watch over us. Lord, fill us with, with uh, love and with the, the things that are pleasing to you, the gifts of your Spirit. But I've also prayed on occasion, O oh Lord, if I or we stray from you, May you please shut us down decisively right away and don't let us carry on with just this semblance of religion. Just shut it down. Close the house so that your name may not be dishonored. But trust that won't happen. As the writer of Hebrews says, brethren, I am convinced of better things concerning you. And I am concerned of, convinced of better things concerning you all. Well, we're going to learn um, next, uh, wait a minute, is next week Memorial Day weekend? Wow, already? So we won't be here next Sunday. But following Lord's Day evening, we'll, we'll come back and there'll be a little bit of encouragement with this young fellow named Asa, not, not the one that's sitting over there, but the one that Asa is named after, and we'll look forward to that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every portion of your word, and it is hard for us to read the Old Testament because so much of it is a record of, of the apostasy and idolatry of your people. It's hard for us to be reminded continually of the, the propensity of our own hearts, but we need it. We need constantly to be warned of the wages of sin and reminded that those wages are death. We pray that you would guard us and keep us for yourself. O Lord, frighten us, we pray, with the dangers of sin, that we may flee from sin and run to you. We call upon you, Jesus, to be our great shepherd and by your own spirit to to hem in our hearts, to, to keep us for yourself, to be jealous and for us and zealous for your name in this place. May our hearts be for you and you alone, and may we be weaned from the world increasingly and wed to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.